schlesisches Tor. Der deutsche Spargelkult müsse enden. Germany's beleaguered defense minister has temporarily dropped his PhD title. Das ist eine Perle der deutschen Industrie. Und ich glaube, das kann man nicht. Das ist, ich weiß, wie viel Liebe dahinter steckt. Wenn Glühweinstände aufgebaut werden, wenn Spargel-Weltmeister ist China, denn die bauen sich. Hi, it's Michelle. Hey, this is Ted. Hi, it's Isaac. And welcome back to our first full main feed episode of 2022. Hope everyone had a great break. Um, it's great to all be back here in Berlin in the same place. And we're excited to bring you our first mailbag episode where we take some listener comments, you know, from, from Twitter or email or Patreon or wherever you guys have reached us and try to answer your questions both, you know, sort of about, uh, our experiences in Germany and general questions about the country itself and, and anything else that came through. So we're excited to run through a few of these questions and we really appreciate everybody reaching out and giving those to us. Um, and welcome back to Spaßbremse. That's the podcast that you're listening to. Yes, this is Spaßbremse. <laughs> that's, that's correct. <laughs> right, and before we dive into it and have Isaac run through the questions that we received, just on a quick housekeeping note, first of all, thanks so much to everyone who listens, um, we know we really appreciate, you know, been around for about six months now and have seen a ton of interest. And so it's been awesome to see that. Um, thanks a ton to everyone who has supported us on Patreon. That helps us out a lot. You get a couple premium episodes a month if you subscribe at the $5 tier. So we encourage everyone to do that if they can. And last note is that we have our live show, which has been rescheduled Uh, it used to be the 9th, but it'll be the 23rd now, Sunday night at the bar Donau 115 in Berlin, along with our friends at Corner Späti. Um, so if you're in Berlin or nearby, please drop by and hang out with us. Um, it'll be the typical rules here where you have to either have a test and vaccine or a booster shot to get in, um, like typical rules. So yeah, we're excited to, to do that and actually see everybody in person. And yeah, th thanks again. It's, uh, it's awesome to make it to our second calendar year of the podcast, so... Uh, we're excited to bring you a lot more episodes and we'll do a little little recap, a little, uh, little run through of people's questions today and then get into some more heavy hitting in-depth series like our foreign policy series coming next. Uh, but yeah, Isaac, do you want to take it away with the questions? I do. Yes. So our first question comes to us from Patreon, one of our subscribers on Patreon who says... Hi guys, I have a couple of related questions about German food culture for the mailbag episode, assuming it's not too late for that. It absolutely is not, <laughs> as we're recording this in mid-January. Uh, firstly, my feeling, going back to endless childhood trips up and down the Autobahn, is that Germans have a higher quantity of unhinged supermarket junk foods than anyone else in Europe. As North Americans living in Germany, how do you think this compares to what you're used to from home? So this is something, I wouldn't say it's like quite at the same level of like American junk food, where to the extent that like American junk food is unhinged, it's usually on like the fried end of it. That's like, like everything has like insane, like savory components to it. Like everything's fried and like tons of preservatives and it's like very, very salty. And like, it seems like that's how like Americans go overboard. Germans do that, mm. but with just sugar. Like yeah, everything. sweet. Yeah. And so like you can get every like type of bizarre candy and there's just like sugar jammed into everything and what's funny and I, i like this question it's a good point is like 
Germans will often talk like sort of unprompted about how unhealthy Americans are and how unhealthy American food is, which like is true in many ways. But it's funny for like the Germans to be doing that because they'll just like feed their kids like four ice creams a day. Then they'll, they'll drink like five sodas, but they call them lemonades because they're like have one percent fruit juice in them and then eat a bunch of like kinder chocolate. And it's well, like, they love talking about like how processed American food right, is, and right. they have all of these like e substances. There must be hundreds of them, right? That are banned in the EU. Yeah, and you can't have GMO, and they don't have like corn syrup in their sodas and all this stuff. And it's like, well, so they think be- that all remaining things must be healthy, good somehow. for you. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, well, no, just. Eating pure sugar is also bad, even if it's not, like, GMO corn syrup. Also, the full-size, like, gummy, like, Haribo packs, that is, like, a lot of... They always say Zum Thailand, but no one listens to that. Well, they only just started saying that. They probably, you know, they they weren't always saying that. And you see, like, grown men, like, walking out of the gas station with, like, three... (laughs) Three different Haribos. Yeah, that was me. <laughs> yeah, I, I regularly go through one of those and like. Okay, uh, <laughs> I'm sitting here looking at two grown men, and they're looking at me like like I'm wrong, but I'm actually perfectly correct, and they have to <laughs> concede that point. I mean, no, it's completely a thing. I, again, yeah, when I'm saying that they do this, I'm not saying that's bad. I'm just. <laughs> it's just it's yeah, it's good. Uh, Haribos are very good. Um, <laughs> No, but I think, yeah, like, you. I think Germany is really world-leading in the amount of ways that they find to, like, combine, like, milk and chocolate and, like, cookie things. Like, they'll hazelnuts? Have, like, hazelnuts, <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's in there. Every, like, there'll be these weird mix that are, like, that are, like, milk, chocolate, cracker The wafers, thing, they wafer. love a wafer. Yeah, it's all get, the kinder, the kinder chocolate. Yeah, and they just yeah. inhale that stuff. So, yeah, I think, I think that's a good, a good point. I think this, it's pretty the stuff is grosser at home it's like definitely more disgusting and unhinged well right it's like pure unhealthiness here it's just like the nor it's yeah. like okay there's like fat and sugar and all the bad stuff america you get that stuff plus like 18 but none of it's real none of the ingredients are yeah. additives that like yeah. make your like face puff up and you like get it like constantly <laughs> feel hung over because of how many preservatives you're eating so like definitely a pot kettle situation if you're making fun of american health habits from germany but at the same time I'll take my obesity without a side of, like, carcinogenic preservatives, I guess. So Germany wins that <laughs> one for sure. What, what's it like in Canada? What's the, what's the candy, what's the junk food, like, difference? I mean, I think it's probably pretty similar to in the States. Like, I mean, Canada is just like the States, but without guns. Um, but I really want like a hostess the cupcake. Only, only you can say that. If we <laughs> said that, we'd be like, "You imperialists!" Like, but I mean, uh, my I, I I always I think even in Canada I always went for the sweet stuff, so I don't think I necessarily notice the difference between like the sweet versus savory. I'm of. just thinking of that like that regal that shelf that's in every American one of like. The powdered donuts yes, yes, yes. and like the stuff that lasts in a package mm. for s- probably eternity, yeah. <laughs> right? And and Germans do have that with like you can get like a choco croissant that's like in the package at the gas station, mm-hmm. but it's still made of like wheat and butter and it like will get stale in less than a week. Yeah, like, yeah. Or the package ones, that, yeah. 
But, yeah, I mean, but, yeah. I was going to say, like, in, in Canada, I remember whenever I, like, would go on, like, a Greyhound bus ride or something, and you had, like, the little, like, break where you could go pee and, like, get a snack. I always loved, like, treating myself to one of those, yeah, plastic wrap like, butter tarts. That was, like, my all-time favorite. Wow. It was probably horrible for me, but... I don't really know delicious. what the word tart means. That, like, sounds so... <laughs> It's like, oh, okay, like, a, a, I mean, a butter, okay, this is diverging from the topic of the podcast, but butter tart is a very Canadian thing, I think. It's like, oh. a, like it was like a pecan, like sort of like a pecan pie, like think mm-hmm. pecan pie, where it's like just like butter and sugar and then like some pecans. It's like that, but without the pecans even. So it's just like butter and sugar in a like little tiny pie. And I want pecan pie. That yeah. sounds good. It's really good. Oh, uh, like just ramekin formed. Yeah. Like with the ridges. Yeah. That's a Like a tiny pie. Let's just... Move on to the follow-up question. <laughs> yes. So this question from our Patreon listener, Patreon subscriber, came with a follow-up softball question, um, which is, what are the best and worst German foods you've ever tasted? Oh, I should have reflected a bit. I have. I guess I have fairly like basic tastes about this. I guess it isn't technically German, but like uh, <laughs> a good a good Wiener Schnitzel is like. Oh. No, no, no. Like, Greater Deutschland. Greater Deutschland. Yeah. We can count that. Okay. I mean that's. <laughs> That's great. Like, they do. I think. I think German food is unfairly maligned. Like, if you get someone that can actually cook it, I yeah. Think, I think the issue is like a lack of like culinary talent. Mm. But, like, <laughs> but like, but like the actual recipes are good if you if you make them with any degree of care. Like, there's this German re- there's this German restaurant across the street from me, and it was owned by like Germans for a while, and it was like just terrible. It had like like three stars on Google. Like, just was awful food. I ate there once. And then they didn't want to operate anymore. And one of the cooks was from Pakistan. He took it over. Like the, now, the food is like the, has like four point eight star review. Like everybody, yeah. like it's constantly packed. The food is now amazing, and you're just like the Germans can't just can't be trusted to cook their own food. They just like mm. need someone else to do it. And like, <laughs> and I I think that that improved it a lot. Um, but yeah, you can get a lot of good stuff. Like around Christmas, you can get your like a goose, like a Christmas goose leg. That's really good. I yeah, I hate currywurst actually. Mm. I really don't. It's controversial. Don't enjoy currywurst, and I think maybe the best German food. I don't know. Come back to me. Or yeah, I see you looking up fish. This like, was my. This is my. This is my nomination fish. for worst. Oh, but okay. I. <laughs> well, I was gonna say. I mean, for best, like I mean, all I like. My, my family's from northern Germany, and so it's, like, a lot of, like, just butter and, like, fried stuff and, like, pieces of, like, they, like, kale dishes just made, like, kale cooked in butter and bacon. It's like, well, of course that's going to be delicious. Like, right. Even though it's kale. I mean, I also like kale. But um, for worse German food, though, I was going to say, um, have you guys had Holmops? These are, like... <laughs> Well, okay, have you had, it's often... Pickled herring fillets. Isn't a mops like a pub? I know, but I've had that, I've had that, so, like, one of my, another favorite food here. I actually like a lot of German food. Like, <laughs> like also in, like, the lakes around Berlin, or if you go up to the coast, like, you get fish, like, fish brutchen, fish sandwiches on everything, or you can get, like, like pan, like, they just take the fish, like, pan fry it, give you, like, broadcartoffeln on the side. Delicious, nice lake white fish. Amazing. Really good. And I wanted to get uh, a fish brutchen, with, like, but with just, like, a cooked piece of fish in it. And then I like didn't, but I didn't know all the types of fish because I was fairly new. And I got one that was like it was like the Bismarck or like Machis fillet. And then that is like pickled fish, so it's like not cooked all, just pickled, and is like so intense. That was not very good. 
because oh yeah so this this volmops is like pickled herring do we pronounce this word fillets or fillets fillet give me I back say, that fillet of fish give i say me fillet that fish. i think i think british people might say fillets i, I don't okay. know anyway could, they're rolled into know. a cylindric shape often around a savory filling so it looks like and again we're showing a picture to michelle which is not like have you, i mean i also no, just they don't, don't say fillet they say they say fillet i so give me emphasis. back that fillet of fish. i don't really like fish in general but this is often served with lapskaus which is like also this northern german kind of like fish stew type thing which i actually really like but then it's often fish like, stew. I'm you guys are you've lost <laughs> me. I <laughs> I'm just adding more and more foods to my worst yeah, that I'm never going like, to taste. <laughs> well, so okay, I thought about it, and I like rote Grütze, which is like when you have vanilla yeah, ice cream and oh. just like warm ber- red berries on top. What about spaghetti eyes? Spaghetti eyes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Isaac. Is, yeah, this is important. This is. It's it's <laughs> ice cream pressed into the shape of spaghetti, Why? and the tomato sauce is like raspberry or strawberry. Do you want to hear so something? It looks like a bowl of spaghetti. <laughs> Little kids love it. It's very cute, actually. I knew Neukölln was like over gentrified last summer when I walked by some place and they had vegan pe- quote pesto spaghetti ice, where they had like a like a lime sauce. Like <laughs> and I was just like, you can't. You can't mess with a classic like that. Like you can't whatever for me. I mean, I eat vegan ice cream, but you <laughs> can't make it the sauce green. To be like, ew, you have red sauce with your spaghetti ice. Like I, I prefer my pesto <laughs> spaghetti ice. Yeah, so that's so funny. So yeah, that's good. And then I actually do like maltaschen. Maltaschen are good. With like, I I really like. Um, the champignon sauce. Like, I, I like the mushroom it's like, sauce it's like that a, they make. It's like a large, like, tortellini or, like, a large... Uh, ravioli. ravioli. It's yeah. like a German ravioli, which unfortunately translates to mouth bag, which is not a very Yeah, I wasn't going to say it. <laughs> it's not a very good branding of the it's, thing, but maultaschen yeah. are good. Yeah. Or, like, maul is really much, like, like, halt, halt ein maul would be, like, shut your trap. So it's, like, trap. But it's, like, a more crass way of saying mouth. Like, mouth is too pretty a word. Like maul is very it's like, a, yeah. like a uh, snout. It's or like something. Grosser, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Grosser it's grosser than mouth, than mouth bag. Like bag. S- <laughs> snout bag or like no, like, uh, no, tough. But it tastes good. I would rec- they yeah, both meat ones and like veggie ones are pretty good. Mm, yeah, meat ones are probably a little better. Okay. Um, <laughs> I'm gonna be honest. I've been trying to like eat more veggie stuff, and I got the veggie maltasha, and they just didn't quite hit right for me. Chadibu vegana. What? What? I don't. I didn't really say I didn't like it. Oh, the the fish thing. The fish thing. But I think what to me is like more disappointing in German food isn't so much like there's a meal that's like not that good. It's just like people will accept for like main meals like well I just wouldn't really consider like a meal. Like they do oh, like yeah. they do like Abendbrot, which is just like people will just like have like spreads of like pate like that would be like a fancy thing or like gross looking salami and like butter on like cut up bread and like that will be dinner which to me i'm like i I need to like apply heat to food to like call it a dinner like i wouldn't just have a cold thing and so yeah they really like very underwhelming and like which is like my main issue with german food culture or or a lot of times like at the kita they'll serve potatoes and like sauce and that's like yeah, um, that's Salzkartoffeln, which is Zalz just like it's literally just yeah, potatoes. Yeah, but I'm trying to think of what they had. Oh, they had like some sort of 
oh, it wasn't it wasn't even sauce. The sauce was um, roasted uh, cabbage. <laughs> and that was like what you top your potatoes with and that was it I feel like I'm going to come up with, with my favorite yeah, one like later in this episode and then we'll just would shout you, it your, out would your overall verdict though coming here given like the stereotypes about German food being pretty bad like would you say it has performed at, above, or below expectations? I mean I have actually been really impressed by like food in Berlin since moving here, but I'm not impressed by like the German food. I'm impressed by like all the like Turkish food and like Georgian food and like other kinds of yeah. foods that I've eaten. Okay, on to the next question. <laughs> <laughs> we didn't get to bread, but I guess we can. You know, I mean, that's okay. coming later, right? We're talking about that. That's just my favorite thing about this whole country. Yeah, it's the bread. <laughs> I thought that it was gonna come up there. <laughs> How long did we talk about food? Like 20, 20 minutes. <laughs> I love podcasting. <laughs> what like, about you? I, I, that's a good question. I like talking about. <clears throat> I don't think we've ever talked about food on this podcast. Well, we probably have, but. Okay, next question is a bit more of a, of a hard hitting question. Uh, also from a Patreon subscriber. Uh, why is digitalization such a big topic in Germany? Right, I can, I can take this one. I jotted down a few notes about this. So, right. yeah, I mean, it's, it's funny because it's like, being here, it becomes like a very natural part of political discourse of like, we need to improve digitalization. It's just like this buzzword that's thrown around constantly. But then if you think about that, like in like a US context, or I think like a lot of other countries probably outside the EU, like it just has, it sounds funny. It's like a weird word. Like you just wouldn't, you don't have like debates in the US where you have like, you know, Joe Biden and Trump going on about like, how are we going to like improve digitalization? It's just sort of seen as something that like, the market handles or like the individual states do. And so it's not like a national political topic. But I, I think one of the reasons this becomes this like buzzword in German politics is because Germany is actually just so far behind on like many different measures of digitalization, whether that's like adoption of, you know, cloud computing or internet speeds, uh, you know, just a whole bunch of different measures. They have, you know, various like the OECD or the EU will do these like digitalization indices and measures for whatever those are worth but germany often ranks really poorly there about 21 of the 27 eu countries which is pretty remarkable for being like the sort of like you know, most powerful economy and you know, like driving force in europe to have being at the very very low end of of adoption of digital technologies and the fax machine has become super representative of this in germany as like kind of a, a symbol as of 2018, the number of faxes sent per year was still increasing at 10 percent <laughs> no. per year. Yep. No. Yeah. It was increasing. Yeah, they sold. They said they sold 37,000 fax machines that year. So it's not oh, like this. It's not like this legacy what? technology. Yeah. It's not like this legacy technology that they haven't been that they're like trying to get like the most backward, outdated offices to get rid of. Like people are still buying this stuff, and it's like growing it's not just some like old machine that's been sitting there and it would cost more to dismantle and get yeah, out and of they can't get, like, it's not like, you know the landesamt in like some small town in like you know baden-württemberg like won't give up their fax machine and they're like or like the <laughs> most like conservative mittelstand like no it's like they're still buying it like big companies use this um and it has like it's just very enshrined in like how you have to do stuff so like some law enforcement agencies will only accept tip-offs by fax. 
medical institutions will only send some data by fax to um, have better patient protection because they don't trust email. <laughs> and it really has like a different legal weight where it has more like the weight of like a, a mailed paper document. Whereas like they won't, they often won't accept an email attachment, like a signed like PDF or something won't be considered as like official. It's like, like a, a fax, crazy like, question. So yeah. can faxes be colored? I'm sure they have been, but I don't, I've never seen one. No, I don't think so. Like, can you say, cause I'm thinking about the stamps, right? Like a, you're saying it has the weight of a legal document. No, and... it's not possible apparently. Okay. What? Or, no, well, not just the first Google <laughs> not thing. It's not widely supported. It's not widely supported. Okay, but so so does this all does this all go back to, like, Germany's obsession with, like, Datenschutz and this privacy thing that they, like, don't trust, like, this stuff that happens up in, like, the cloud and, like, the... Yeah, there's a lot of that. And we're going to definitely do an episode on, like, Datenschutz and, like, digitalization or lack thereof. I think maybe as one or it could be as two episodes. There's, like, a million different reasons for for this, like you often hear people ascribe this to like the fear of like and like memory of like the Stasi and like the spying and like phone tapping and stuff. So everyone's like skeptical of like of internet technologies because they don't want the government to spy and they're worried about their data. And it's all this like ingrained, you know, like trauma of like the Stasi era. And like, but it just seems like they're very selective about what, when Datenschutz is a thing and when it's not like, it's still bad to give away personal information even if it's on a piece of paper. Like when you apply to apartments here, you have to give them basically your whole life in a yeah. stack of paper. And you have to apply to probably 50, 60 apartments to find one. And like, you're giving them your passport, all your bank information, where you've lived, job. Like, they could, you could do identity theft so easily with one person's apartment. What's often the case now is that you have to send it before you get a viewing appointment. Yeah. So like, you I actually put a don't fake know. online and get yeah. 200 people's data. Which happens a lot. Yeah. Like, yeah, so. So that that's a funny thing to me. Like I was I was playing badminton this weekend, and uh, they like this little like sports center. That feels thing. very German of you. Yeah, sports center to know. Oh nice, but, <laughs> my gosh! And and the people like that will you know be terrified about giving out anything online. They have like people who are searching for a partner to play with, and they put their phone like you know all this like name everything on a little card and just say like contact me, and they're just hanging there. Like a dozen of them. Oh, yeah. Like, at my Riva, there's always what? like How some... is that not... How are you not worried about personal data protection when just like your information's just there? There's some woman trying to like sell all her like random shit and she like writes it out in this really nice cursive and posts it at like the local like Riva like board where you can like put in. She has like her email, her age probably. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I think it's like used as a way to like get out of things just people don't want to do. Like... When they're trying to do automated traffic enforcement uh, for like parking or speeding or stuff like that, often people will be like, oh, no, we can't do that because it violates data privacy because they would like use a picture of the license plate to give the ticket. And it's like, come on, you just don't want to pay a ticket. Like, and so I, I feel like people dodge stuff quite a bit or like businesses will use it as a way to like not make it easy for the customer because you have to like do everything by mail and yeah. it just like creates this like grinding slowness which then like actually kind of defends the status quo and makes it quite difficult for like a consumer to to get their rights. Yeah, and so yeah, just to close out on the facts thing, as of 2021, 43% of the largest 500 companies in Germany still use the facts frequently according to a poll from Bitcom, which is like the 
sort of digital association of German companies. So, yeah. Um, wow. It's uh, it's definitely a huge thing, and digital change for companies is generally very slow. Uh, like I said, you know, they, they still have the facts and a lot of other things. They're not really adapting. It's become a huge source of anxiety in German political culture uh, because there's like no there's no big like German tech giants, and you think of it as this very like sophisticated, technologically advanced country, but they just really don't have anything to remotely compete. Can I can I just come in with a, a fact about faxes? Yeah. A fax fact? A fax fact? Send it on over. Um, I mean, this is from couponchili.com. So it's maybe not the most reputable source, but... Let's uh, hear it. This is about faxes per country. Germany is the country with the third most number of fax machines in the world. In after, like absolute terms. Yeah, in absolute okay. terms. After the US, Japan, and then oh. Germany. And then apparently, and this is, for, okay, this is from 2013 also that Coupon Chili published this information. So it's almost 10 years ago, so it's probably out of date. But at that time, it actually said that the United States was slightly ahead of Germany in terms of fax machines per thousand people, at 55 per thousand people, whereas Germany apparently had 45 per thousand people. But they still, Germany was still in the top, was the third, the country with the third most number of faxes per thousand people. After Japan, Japan is number one. Apparently, Japan loves the fax more than... That's, that also is counterintuitive based Germany. on reputations. But I would be curious, yeah, how it's changed because it doesn't... This is, yeah, almost 10 it years seems ago. The fax is probably declining in, yeah. in the U.S. and, uh, and it's increasing. It's going up in Germany. It's wild. Yeah, on the, the like company side of it as well, like, you know, Berlin has a pretty developed tech sector for, like, startups, but nothing huge. And just to give you an idea, like, the like SAP is the biggest German tech company. Their market capitalization as of this month, January 2022, $164 billion U.S. dollars. By contrast, Apple's is... 2.8 trillion Google's is 1.8 trillion so just an order of magnitude like like over 10x as big like just not like not even close in terms of how the, the like relative countries like tech giants and so that I think is you know there's a bit of like cause and effect there whether like the slow digitalization at the governmental level leads to like the lack of good companies or vice versa but like that's a huge thing that germans are like really fretting about is like how to stay competitive in the you know the 21st century economy um so you hear that a lot and that's why this word digitalization comes up over and over and over and on like more of a, a basis of what you'd experience here if you've lived in germany the Wireless internet is notoriously slow. Um, you actually saw this in one of the debates. They had like a little question prompt that involved a grandma in a dirndl like running around the hills with her phone trying to find a, a signal. Um, that was just like a thing that was on German like national television was like a little skit. Yep. During a like a chancellor debate. Um, you'll notice it like very directly if you go, if you say like take a train, if you, I don't know if you're going to Prague or Warsaw or whatever on the train, you cross the border into... Czech Republic or Poland and you'll go from like edge to 4G like instantly when you cross the border which is again like very funny in terms of this theme we keep hitting about like perceptions and realities of Germany right like you think oh Germany is like the more rich advanced western country and then there's like the you know eastern countries like that wouldn't have wouldn't be as sophisticated or whatever and it's like total opposite like coverage is great in like central and eastern European countries and like so many dead spots here. Did you know that in the trains now in 2022, you can't buy a ticket on board anymore? You have to buy it on your phone in the Deutsche Bahn. Which is great because you can't do that in half the places. Right. 
That's what I was just thinking about while you were saying, like, oh, yeah. the spotty coverage, and it's like, well, I've, what I've if, had that before. Yeah. Where I like, I was like running, and I, I get on, and I like, you know, like then try to buy it once I, you know, because I didn't have time. You try to get it as soon as the train leaves, and it's like in a dead zone. And then you're like yeah. showing the person, you're like, there's no coverage, and they're like, well, and you're like, well, I'm supposed to be able to do this, and they're like, yeah. But but it used like to be that you could that buy no it from yeah from yeah. the ticket controller like they would have this yeah. little machine tap tap and you just give them cash and now you can't. It's <laughs> also just like a shitty policy because like yeah. sometimes it doesn't work. Like I was in when I was in Dresden, I took was taking the train to Zexische Schweiz and yeah, we encountered this problem where like I was running and jumped on the train, didn't have a time to buy a ticket ahead of time. And so I asked the controller, like, oh, can I buy a ticket from you? And he was like, no. And I was like, okay, well, what if I buy it on my phone? And he was like, yes. So I, like, tried to buy it, but it just, like, wasn't working for whatever reason. I don't I don't yeah. think it was because of the connection. It was just, like, the website. I don't know. It wasn't working for me. And then finally, after I was, like, kind of pleading with him, he, like, begrudgingly, like, pulls out the machine. And I'm like, so you could have done it. Like, you yeah. could have done it at the beginning. Oh, like, they, he had the machine. He just If you don't to, like, insist, they won't. Yeah. just, like, suffer in front of him. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's very frustrating. Yeah, the Deutsche Bahn, that's a whole other beast that we should cover as well. And yeah, their, uh, their app could use a little work. Um, anyone that's lived here knows that. But yeah, I mean, this has become, again, I think more of a political issue, which is why it kept coming up over and over. And like Christian Lindner and the FDP are always like, like they're like the digitalization people. Um, there's like entire areas of the country without coverage, like we said. You know, this became a huge issue during COVID because people want to, you needed to work from home. And if your village just like doesn't have internet, like what are you supposed to do? Talked about the wireless, but this is true for like the, the actual grounded, like, uh, I mean like wireless, like like data, um, but for like your like Wi-Fi you get in your house, there it's super slow because there's very little fiber optic cable in Germany. There was supposed to, this goes back to like the time of Helmut Kohl, um, the CDU chancellor because the copper wire phone lines were supposed to be replaced with fiber optic, which is what Helmut Schmidt wanted to do. And to cut costs, Helmut Kohl later then canceled this project. And so then they just upgraded the copper wires rather than installing new fiber optic. So speeds are really just capped in a lot of places. They also privatized the telecom industry in 1995. And so without any like state support to do investment, there's not really much reason for an individual company to want to install fiber optic cables. So they're stuck with literally just the, the infrastructure of the internet is old. And so that makes it super, super hard to overcome. And then all the things that get built on top of having a fast internet don't arise because of this decision taken like decades ago. People like in the past couple of years have started banding together with their neighbors or on like a communal level to dig their own trenches for the fiber optic cables like <laughs> like um <Yeah>. <laughs> basically you'll you need like the whole neighborhood to do it in order to make it worth it and then you like pay right or yeah. or there was this uh hilarious video on dw news of these um cool youth pastors who are on tiktok and they <laughs> have them out there in the back of the church like with a literal shovel <laughs> digging for their fiber optic to lay their fiber optic cable because if you want to be digital like the first thing you have to do is some manual labor <laughs> that's the total market yes. in action like you think government's not going to dig your fiber optic cables for you put in some effort get some skin in the game 
Yeah, I mean, and everyone else, like, I mean, if, if you've lived here, you know, like, all this stuff with, like, you can try to get anything done, like, with the local government to get registered. It's all, like, paper, like, everything, paper, paper, paper. Um, and I think, like I said, it kind of serves as, like, a convenient barrier for companies to, like, do anything to help you. Like, if you want to get a refund for a late train, you have to mail them all the, like, documents. and then Which you, doesn't work. It doesn't I've, work. I've, like, tried that yeah. multiple times, and you... Basically, if your train is late a certain amount of hours, then they come by and they give you the slip of paper that you could mail off, yeah. right? And you fill that out, and then they'll just send you to your home two weeks later or four weeks later another form to fill out. Yeah. And then you but then you don't have the original document. Yeah. You already sent them, and so it's like yeah. I think it's a deliberate way to like screw you over. Yeah. Like I mean, I don't know idiocy like malice kind of thing like I don't it's tough to say but like it it is very frustrating like like I like got damage on a rental car and had to like send in the stuff and they like to the, like insurer for the rental car thing and they want all the documents mailed to them like I tried to email and they're like no please send us all of it and it's like you're just trying to make this hard like come on yeah or, or for example um Actually, update on a recent <laughs> recent episode where I talked about having to subscribe to the Rheinische Post to get our Christmas <laughs> One too many blue things. vines and you're like subscribing I, to the yeah, local I'm news. Yeah, 99 cent free trial ran out. I just got charged eight ninety nine today. I've tried to email them. <laughs> I've tried to email them. I tried to cancel online. They just won't respond. You can't do anything. And they're like, please send us a letter in Yeah, writing. maybe we can write them a letter after this. We need this. to write them a letter. To, <laughs> I feel kind of bad that, that, write, that you did that. For. I need to sacrifice for the pod. But yeah, the Rhinish Post will keep will uh, not stop taking my money until I write them a physical letter saying <laughs> I would not like to subscribe to your newspaper. I think Germany per capita produces the most amount of like paperwork for people by a lot. <laughs> are, you, are you just making that up or do you know that as a fact? I know that as a fact. Okay. <laughs> okay. I don't know. Sorry. <laughs> you said you said that really softly. If I had said it, it would have come off as like really hostile and rude. But you like did it in a very nice way, so I'm glad. I'm glad that you said what I was thinking. All right. You want me to fact check? Well, I mean, I I think it can like sometimes feel like I actually got really into this today. Uh, I bought a bunch of those like paper um, or like plastic protectors for documents. Oh, I went yeah. to make paper oh, yeah. and bought those plastic. <laughs> and I Which, like, by the way, is the name of the main stationery store. <laughs> it's like, like Office Max or something. It's called Mick Paper. I was just thinking about this actually also today when I went to make paper. I was thinking about how like the stationery store is called McPaper. They have a gym called McFit. It's just like... There's McTrek, which is the hiking store. It's so weird. Like, they just, like, think that you just add Mick to anything that just, like, indicates that it's sort of, like, cheap, everyday, like, every every man's paper store. Anyway, but I went to yeah. McPaper buying the, the, the plastic protectors. Oh, yeah. And I went through and, like, I was, you know, protecting my, like... And Meldon Bescheinigung. Oh, yeah. It's like protecting all the. And it's it a hazing felt, ritual for when you move to Germany. You got to get a binder, you got to get lots of yeah. clear folders. It's and like, actually, today it took a lot of joy in it. It like felt very kind of like quaint and like nice. Like, oh, I'm like. And I was like, this is my life in this binder. You know, it just felt very like good to have it just like in my hands. <laughs> I labeled mine German girl documented. <laughs> 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 and, um,. I was like getting help from a social worker to fill out some paperwork and I had all my papers in those plastic <laughs> things like with my like uh, 
Einkommensnachweise, my, my pay slips. Yeah. And she goes, you know they don't print these on gold. Like, you don't have to put them in the, in the plastic bag. <laughs> like, she was... <laughs> she made so Roasted much fun of me. <laughs> and she was like, you could put all of them in one plastic protector. And I was like... Because I'm, like, sitting there, like, pulling them <laughs> each month, like, out of a plastic protector. And she's like... She tried to be a German girl. She was like, you're not doing it right. <laughs> yeah, she, she saw right through me. <laughs> it, no, I know what you mean, though. Like, it is satisfying, like, going to, like, the... Like, I just had a, a visa appointment at the... The Landesamt für Einwanderung, the like foreigners oh. office, and that's good. And like you get there, like ask for this. They're like very grumpy. They're like, give me this, give me that. And they have like eight different things you want, and you just pull them out of the file, like hand it to them, and you're like, I have that, I have that, I have that. But yeah, once yeah. you have your folder like once, ready, yeah, it's you, okay. Once you're good, you feel very smug about it. But yeah. If you don't, it sucks. <laughs> but if you're like if you just moved here, plastic protectors deep. <laughs> So wait, were you were you uh, vindicated? I am correct. 100% well, well, with an asterisk. <laughs> Is it an asterisk? Asterisk. Um, <laughs> sorry, just being. Thank you. Yeah, yep. <laughs> Let's get petty about the petty <laughs> punctuation mark. Stanchion. <laughs> um, <laughs> The largest per capita paper consuming countries worldwide in 2015 in kilograms per year, per person, obviously, um, Luxembourg with 277, Germany with 251, Austria with 249 are the leading three. Oh, yeah. And then does it just, like, drop off after that? And then it drops off pretty significantly. Um, Luxembourg. That's a funny one. I would have thought, again, like, not knowing much about Luxembourg, but. Being like, oh, that's like the big financy place, right? They probably have Switzerland a uses computer. a lot less. They're like one thirty two when Germany mm-hmm. was like two seventy or two fifty one, and France is only like one thirty seven. I was crazy when you think so per person, like two fifty kilograms of paper. Like that's wait, a lot of fucking paper. Yeah. What? How is that even possible? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> like five hundred fifty pounds. Yeah, but it, it's obviously they just. Divide it by the number of the population. Right, like, but right. Like it's, it's not like, actually like. He's <laughs> looking at me like actually, asking me to explain this. Actually, one hundred companies use seventy percent of the paper, so don't feel bad about printing those documents. <laughs> I mean, it's probably true though. Probably true. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yes. Moving on. We have another question that is just like, why is German blank so bad? Um, this is from Twitter, <laughs> one of our listeners from Twitter. Why is German TV mostly so bad? Well, I'm so glad this person asked because I was actually watching like a German movie the other night and it had like good reviews <laughs> and so that's why I was watching it. It was about, it was called Ich bin dein Mensch or something about like a humanoid robot created for this woman who's the perfect partner and I'm watching and I'm like it's so cute that Germans think they can make movies like they're really trying but it's it just really falls short I guess there's like the whole like movement of like new German cinema and like all of these and like what is it Fassbinder and like all of this right like there is there have been amazing German directors like like we shouldn't be like there's not like artistic 
Like, yeah, I mean, I immediately heard myself saying yeah, that, and I was yeah. like, well. <laughs> it's not like there's a lack of artistic like, talent or anything. It's but, just we're, like, but we're speaking about TV. System here. Yeah, it just we are speaking about TV. I, I, just said, I just said this because it, it, it made me think um, about TV generally, and that it's basically that they don't, like, take any risks, right? Like, there's not really... A, it's hyper-formulaic. It's hyper-formulaic, yeah. and, and the reason for this, I looked into it a little bit, and reading an article in our favorite uh, news source, Bild, that says, Is unser Fernsehen so schlecht, wie alle sagen? Is our, is our <laughs> so television different. as bad as everybody says it is? <laughs> I love that even the, the like, nationalist tabloid has to be, like, that embarrassed. Yeah. And, um, you know, this is kind of an interview with a bunch of TV producers. And the, the little intro text here, I have it translated. Everyone complains about German television. The stations only follow the quotas they say they broadcast nothing but thrillers because apparently you can do the least wrong with that <laughs> anything that could challenge the viewer is avoided <laughs> then they say that like the americans and the british and even little denmark <laughs> it's kind of funny even little denmark has more courage and more money for productions with creativity and ambition and then the viewers themselves are blamed for their misery because they supposedly wouldn't have it any other way. And like internationally acclaimed series like Game of Thrones and Homeland and House of Cards fall short of ratings expectations in Germany, which then leads the risk averse. Sorry, this is me talking now. <laughs> that yeah. was the end of the <laughs> quote that they apparently can't make anything too newfangled. <laughs> um, but I wanted to talk a little bit about this kind of... I mean, but they also, those would all be dubbed. I mean, like, you, there's, right. there's got to be a limited uptake of, like, dubbed stuff because it's just kind of weird. Like, right. I like that's, I, like... I don't know, think the like majority of TV watching, of the TV watching population is into... How popular was, dubbed. like, Babylon Berlin here? Like... I don't know how because that's like the, probably the only one of the only like TV shows that's gotten like well it's also the, they the they poured so much money into that yeah. it was one of the first kind of like enormous undertakings of but there have been a, a few, production there were house a few okay ones right there was the I don't even know how old they are right like what are the actual decent like the Charité one is like the okay. Charité one's pretty good I mean these are all like public yeah they're uh, publicly funded there's one about Freud that's supposed to be good I haven't watched it. Um, but going, like, returning to this kind of no risk-taking with production, it ties into what the Build article says about, um, like, murder mysteries, that Germany just generally loves crime fiction and crime television series, and there are a couple of reasons for that. This is an article on foreignpolicy.com. We should post this because it's actually pretty interesting. It's yeah, like a whole... A link to this. A, yeah, link to it. Um, but it speaks to the phenomenon of Tatort, which mm. is a uh, scene of the crime translated. And this is like one of the it's most like popular and famous yeah. uh, German television series. 
and it says, Tatort is a phenom- phenomenon unto itself. Before the advent of private television and the internet, German city and village streets would empty around 8.15 p.m. on Sundays as West Germans gathered in front of the TV to watch the show's newest episode, which was broadcast immediately after the 8 p.m. news. Today, communal viewings among Tatort enthusiasts still abound. There's even a German word for this sort of phenomenon, Straßenfeger, which literally translates to street sweeper, but can also refer to a television show that is so beloved, it sweeps, metaphorically, the streets clean of people who are all in their homes watching. And it goes on to explain that this formulaic um, crime series is so popular because it really emphasizes regionalism. Mm. And it'll kind of do like a tour of <laughs> Germany and like take place in different cities, and that they'll really. And there's like a recurring cast for each city, so people right. Like, oh, those are like the Dresden Tatort crew. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they like identify with them or or have the uh, the correct dialects. It it kind of seems like they like found this formula. They were imitating American crime shows, <laughs> of course, and it struck a chord and then they were just like well we can't do anything else we can just expand yeah. the amount of cities that it is in after like unification like, yeah right? it's like, <laughs> yeah it's like but every, like, Germans will be like it's really bad and then like still watch it every week like it's like a yeah it's like an institution it's just like a thing like I guess it's just a thing that people can talk about or like or whatever but it's keep voting for like indirectly voting for Merkel, you keep yeah. watching Tatort, you, you keep, just gotta keep it up. You love your stability and you love your Well there's just nothing comparable in the US. Like maybe there like maybe there used to be, but like our like culture is so like fragmented and like there's a million like little shows and like everything. Yeah. And like I mean it is you you think about the German market for how many people could potentially watch you're non um yeah i mean you've got like over 100 million or about 100 million like native german speakers in europe like it's enough right. of a market to like sustain like right but you don't you don't world. have like a, a real german like hollywood right you you this is something i kind of noticed there's like the cycle the recycling of the actors like every single show will have the same yeah. people all the this happens in the films as well you're like i just saw that guy like it, it, there's <laughs> yeah. and, and he's playing like the same character the, who's the guy Turkish for Anfänger that one or like Daniel Brua he's in everything Daniel like, Brua's in Paul everything Lugia. like there's like they're just like they just I think it's because like a lot of them go I think like to, to really make it I think in in like the German acting world like you go to like you go to like the US or UK like I still think that's like I still think that's like the sort of like like yeah. a higher level of achievement right like Christoph Waltz or something he's Austrian but like you know w- quite well known in Hollywood now and so like that's sort of and some some will like stay in both and like act in German and English I think like Daniel Wu does yeah. that yeah but I think it's like so, some problem of like sustaining talent here and then yeah maybe like consumption patterns and habits um, one thing I wonder about is like so everything is dubbed here everything that's produced in English for the German market, like it's very difficult to watch something in the original version or even just with like subtitles. So if you wanted to like, I don't know, watch the you know, latest Marvel movie or whatever, it would be like fairly difficult to find a cinema that would have it either in English, which like you can understand is a bit more rare, 
Um, you can find a couple theaters that would do that in Berlin um, because most will actually just not like subtitled, which I found very interesting because like watching movies in English, we would always watch like a German film with English subtitles. Yeah. Wouldn't actually, um, wouldn't actually get it dubbed into English, but Germans all get their stuff dubbed into German, which I found very interesting because it's like a, there's like more English speakers. So I was like, oh, that's funny. For whatever reason, there's like a cultural norm that even though like would make more economic sense to dub it into English because that would be a bigger market for like a much more expensive undertaking than just doing subtitles. They don't do that for the English market. They do it for the German market. And so every like famous actor will have a German voice counterpart who is then like kind of a celebrity in their own right. So like there'll be the, the like German Leonardo DiCaprio voice or like German yeah. <laughs> George Clooney voice. And then like that guy will then like could like then do commercials or like do do other stuff using their voice because everyone will recognize them as the voice of the famous American actor. I hate actor. it. I hate it's the It's very, very weird stuff. to watch because it doesn't line up and it's, yeah. it's very odd. But what my point is like, I wonder if that like drains some like or like diverts some talent domestically right obviously it's like different being a voice actor than than just an actor but like if that's a whole like very lucrative market like if you can get a gig to be like you know you wind up and like you had a career as the german al pacino like <laughs> you you're set like that's a very very good deal and so i wonder if that also discourages a bit of um like uh, the sort of best talent rising to actually like act in these shows wait so so with, with the with the dubbing thing so like one actor will always be Leonardo DiCaprio in all of his movies pretty much yeah until they yeah until they like die or quit I guess but yeah it's like it's like a career it's like a insane gig to get because then you're that guy for like every movie and you get to make a lot of money okay next question um this one coming to us via uh, I believe oh no this was from Patreon this was a Patreon question it's a multi-parter. Says, yeah, multi-parter. This is the first part of a multi-parter. Uh, they say, looking forward to sliding into the new year with Spaßbremse. Love all your serious stuff. Did Lindner get finance minister? Um, which I can answer. I can say, yes, he did. <laughs> yes, he did. And Finally. aren't we psyched? <laughs> we are, oh. Congrats, Christian. Yes. Um... Yeah, I mean, he definitely did. He's like, he's definitely showing, I don't know, we'll, we'll do an update on like, so we did, did, did a couple episodes on the kind of like um, economic side, especially with like German fiscal policy, or a couple last year um, episodes with, with some people from Data Not Zukunft. Um, and we didn't actually know Christian Lindner would be finance minister at the time of the last one that we did with Dominic Leusda. And I think, it's worth doing an update on that. So far, it's not exactly the like doom scenario that a lot of people who wanted to see like German take Germany take a more active fiscal role. It's not necessarily the doom scenario that they predicted, where he would be like super hard on the Schwarzenegger, like no borrowing, like would be really really dogmatic. He actually seems to be quite a lot less dogmatic than uh, like a CDU finance minister would be, which is interesting because he sort of painted himself as like ultimate fiscal hawk. Um, we'll have to see what actually happens. He urged like a like a new debate on EU fiscal rules, which is like just even saying there should be a debate is is actually um, decent. Some 
people have said like, oh, maybe this could be like a Nixon goes to China moment um, for Lindner because like it wouldn't be possible for a normal German politician to actually agree to take on more debt and especially allowing like common EU debt. But Lindner being from the FDP and having such a hawkish reputation as someone who is debt averse actually could get the political leverage and have the ability to actually do this in a way that like maybe an SPD um, like finance minister like previously Schultz was not able to. And so that, that's an interesting argument there. We kind of have to see exactly what happens. But um, yeah, he did get it, uh, which, you know, we didn't love to see. But overall, it hasn't it hasn't seemed like he's like just going to block everything and like just be like a veto player in the whole government. So so that's good. But we'll keep you updated. on Christian. My thoughts on this are like, when is the AMPO going to do anything? They they seem to just like are I mean, podcasting you. Like, I know they've been. I, they they take a long holiday here. I mean everybody's yeah, everybody's I relaxing. Their, their carnival. Oh yeah. Break. Yeah. <laughs> well, I want to see. I really want to see Olaf dance to Shotzi Shankland full control. So I think this is good for the country. All right. So moving on to the second part of that question from our Patreon listener. Uh, this is. There's a there's a there's a few different questions here in varying kind of tones. Um, first, they ask, I'm curious about Germany's position on potential Russia slash Ukraine conflict, uh, comma the oil line, but also would be fun to hear updates about German popular music. Who are their stars? So there's a, a, few, a few different things there that okay, need to go. Why not, can I? Yeah. Can we go in reverse order? So for the music thing, I think yeah. we should just kind of tease that. We decided after this question that we should do it. Well, we knew we were going to do a Schlager episode. Yeah. Talk about Helena Fischer. The German pop kind of country. Yeah. Like Helena Fischer is like the goddess of Germany. If there's yeah. probably one star you need to know, it's Helena Fischer. Um, and then also the other very popular form of music here would be Deutsch rap. Yeah. So rap in German, um, yeah. <laughs> and that kind of warrants, I think, a, a, a full investigation. Dies, sure. And but overall, they would have a, at least half. Like their top forty would be like at least half of like what you'd find on like the American or British top forty. Definitely, right? just you got to check the charts from like six to nine months ago. Yeah, like the current. There's a, there's a big lag. A lag. The yeah. current number one song is a song that came out in like August 2021, and it only started charting in November in Germany. So they're like, get <laughs> yeah, behind. Those supply chains, man. <laughs> and uh, Russia, Ukraine? Yeah. Germany is weird about this because they talk, but I should also then tease that we're actually have in the works now a four part foreign policy series that we mentioned before, but that's going to get into like a lot of the history of this stuff and then really the details about like Germany's role in Europe and the world and especially um, these questions of Eastern Europe are super important. So, in terms of the Russia-Ukraine thing, Germany f kind of frustrates everybody on this because they'll say, oh, you know, we're super supportive of NATO, the Transatlantic Alliance, like, we're like, we're totally behind this. And then at the same time, they're seen to kind of be a bit too close with Russia from a, like, sort of a, a U.S. perspective or like an Eastern European perspective. Um, I mean, I think like we on this podcast would take the the line that like probably um, NATO expansion has not been a good thing and that has like aggravated Russia and like, that has not been a positive development. 
and don't see that like NATO is like this great force for peace and good in the world the way that the German political class would describe it. But even like on its own terms, this like pro NATO thing in Germany is like very much betrayed by their own actions because this Nord Stream pipeline that was alluded to in the question that would circumvent Ukraine and then sort of basically like allow Russia to interfere in Ukraine more because the gas can just come straight to Germany that it needs. And so it's very, very controversial. Um, the U.S. absolutely hates it. Eastern European countries absolutely hate it. Germany has kind of just kept going along with this. And the, the Merkel government was pretty fine with it. Um, it really started under Schröder, who is now actually in his uh, sort of post-chancellor career, is the head of the project. So like, like almost like a, they're like chief lobbyists, but basically assures that the SPD will stay on board with this pipeline from Russia to Germany. And look, look which I said, a lot of their allies are absolutely opposed to. And so it creates a bunch of like very weird dynamics because it seems like Germany's like caught in the middle here where they like profess to be a great NATO ally and a great EU partner um, at the same time are very much like fairly close with Russia on this and kind of go their own way and like negotiating these deals. So it's a, it's a very complex thing. Definitely something we need to get into a bit more on like its own episode because you can't possibly do all the history and like all the different dynamics here. I mean, this dynamic goes back to like Cold War issues where like the U.S. would try to get Germany, West Germany to be more squarely in the camp of like go like like being, you know, like they were always in NATO, but like really like having an aggressive stance towards the Warsaw Pact countries and Germany. No, there was the Ostpolitik, like there were always signs that they were kind of trying to reach out to the East a little bit more than the U.S. was comfortable with, which I think is like good. Like, I don't think East-West antagonisms are like a good thing um, at all. The reason Germany does it is like basically just to secure its commercial interests and like exports and then gas imports. So that's not like the best reason to do it. But at the same time, like rather than just following the U.S. in lockstep, taking like a hyper hawkish stance towards Russia, that to me is is a good thing. Yeah, I think that that probably covers it on on Russia, Ukraine for now. But yeah, generally, of course, like more pro U.S., pro NATO, anti Russia than not, but not as much so as like, say, Poland or the U.S. would want them to be. All right. Our next question also comes to us from Patreon, I believe. Uh, and this is a question about uh, Waldorf schools, Steiner education, Freischule, and the education system here in general, which uh, the person says, as a foreigner without kids, they don't really get to know much about, thankfully, I guess, they say in parentheses. So what what is it? what's the deal with these Waldorf Schule, Steiner? Schools, yeah, I guess if you listen to our alternative medicine episode, we got into some of these uh, schools of thought uh-huh. yeah. <laughs> uh, a little bit. But my uni schedule says that <laughs> in May I'll be taking <laughs> pedagogical approaches. And so I can kind of study for that class and also do an episode kind of deeper dive into this i mean it would also be interesting to talk about the school system in general with the sorting yeah um there's like i want to just briefly say like that like that the general outline of that for someone that doesn't yeah so 
Bildung ist Ländersache, which means that education is largely regulated at a state level. But I think that still the majority, if not all, states sort around fourth grade where you kind of get put, there's like the the feeder elementary school that then gets split into three separate paths. The big critique on that is, of course, that, oh, any fourth grader, what level they're at has a lot to do with their, like, socioeconomic status So it's basically decided, like, at that age whether you can, like, go to college or not. Like, Pretty and, like, pursue, much. Like, a professional there, class there, there are, like, yeah. off-roads and, like, ways to yeah. hop over, but it's it, it also has a lot to do with this kind of split between the vocational training and the more traditional, like, studying at a university track. But there are these like three main tracks. There's the Hauptschule, Realschule, Gymnasium, in increasing order of difficulty of uh, rigor, <laughs> and you know you're you're sorting nine year olds, yeah, and, and being like this is what this entire human being is capable of, and and I as a as a teacher can can see that it, it, it it's pretty. And in practice, it ends up being like pretty class discriminatory and like yeah. discriminatory against people with immigrant backgrounds. Yeah. Because like if, you know, they, they just base it basically like on their, like some exams, basically they're like, they're like feel in class, right? Like there's not like a battery of like, like a standardized test or something you take. No, right? it's not a standardized test. It's like your grades. Again, this varies by, I'm, I'm speaking from my own experience in Baden-Württemberg of like, it's based on your grades and, and your, your class teacher who, writes your report yeah Yeah. so it's pretty you you know there are also ways to appeal at the sorting level um but who it's it's (laughs) yeah so like if you have not you know german is not the language spoken in your home exactly you're gonna come off as not as competent even if you're like a genius child you and and they're gonna maybe put you not in that position i mean there are so many problems with with the sorting And, and there's also the problems with like inclusivity and like kids yeah. with disabilities and right. learning disabilities, having like a whole separate school system even, yeah. apart from the three okay. sorted schools. Yeah. So there's a lot there, and I think we are gonna be covering that in, yeah, that's in, definitely worth in future episodes. I mean, I've, heard, yeah. I've heard too, like, and this makes sense, like people like from like a you know, working class background, they like get put in the real school, that's oh, okay, I guess that's how it is. But it's like, if you're some like, professional class parents and they like don't put your kid on the gymnasium track you're gonna go yeah. in there and raise hell and yeah. they're probably gonna get switched and so it's like you know not only like the language and all the things you the educational advantages you just have being wealthy in the first place but then of course like college educated parents are the types that expect their grievances to be heard and they're gonna be gonna be yeah cool. it compounds kind of so many to make yeah. their kid get what they want and so it's just like it's like this like class reproduction like factory that like mm-hmm. starts when you're like nine years old and i think we talked about this on our first episode of how it's here but germany has the lowest social mobility in the oecd of like developed countries like it's by many measures lower social mobility than the u.s yeah and so like i think this is one of those main reasons for it is you it's just huge tell kids at nine years old oh you have the ability to go, go to college oh the best you can be is like a skilled tradesman like that's it. And a lot of the like most skilled trade routes actually want a higher level qualification, like to yeah. to be like, I don't know, an electrician or something. It's pretty hard to get that if you don't have actually like the college prep 
high school degree nowadays, right? Yeah. So you're just like like consigned to like economic, like misery is a strong word, but like, you know, you're on the periphery and that that gets decided when you're not even 10 years old. Yeah. Very, very bleak. Um, but also like that was only part of the question, I believe, but the, the Waldorf stuff is fascinating. So we'll definitely talk about that too. Yeah. Next cue. Okay, next cue is who got COVID, and that's <laughs> me. I'm Ganesa now. I'm recovered. So we're Hooray! Gute go, go besserung, Isaac. You're better now. Yeah, good go job. Be. You survived. <laughs> I survived. We somehow went to COVID land. Michelle and I were oh, both yeah. in COVID land. I was so nervous. I was in New York, and I... I had, I was like, I definitely have it being boosted and stuff too. And I came back and nope. Yeah. Lucky, lucky duck. And I, I got it in Estonia. So, you know, it just shows you, <laughs> get it anywhere. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you might've gotten one of those, the older variants, right? Like, I know, which would really suck actually, because then I feel like I'm still prone, like I'm still like vulnerable to oh it. You should be okay for like two days. <laughs> <laughs> <sighs> okay, um, but next serious question uh, came to us from Twitter, which is, what is the deal with the church tax? Yeah, so this is a great one um, and something very weird to you if you have not lived here. So the German government will collect taxes on behalf of private religious organizations, which as like you're sort of... <laughs> American brain, separation of church and state, blah, 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 blah. It's like, to whatever extent that's problematic, it doesn't exist in the U.S., but they don't even try to have it here. Or like, yeah, like France or something, it would just be, or the U.K. It would be like, just like pretty inconceivable, I think. And so, you know, you see, it's like, you have your pay stub, right? And then it says, here's your, um, here's your gross salary, and then here's your health insurance taken out of it, here's your retirement, so on and so forth. You know, your general income tax, you have these little lines. If you belong to a religious organization, which is like the, uh, they call it the evangelical church, uh, but it's like more translates to like Protestant church. So if you hear a German say evangelical, they probably mean Protestant or like evangelical in America has a very specific connotation, but evangelisch, 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 evangelisch is uh, just Protestant church, not like the slightly more radical connotation of that in America. Not the Bible is literal. The people. Roman Catholic Church, uh, Jewish, there's the old Catholic Church, and then there's various free religious communities. And those are the, the main ones that would be subject to this tax. And so if you're a member, they take between eight and nine percent, depending on the state, which is actually quite a bit of money. Um, Wait, no, they don't. Well, so okay, so I just looked it up. It, it's eight percent of your income tax so it's like a yeah. surcharge okay, of 5 percent of your income tax not yeah. your total yeah it ends yeah, up yeah. being so, like one percent so it ends up being one percent of your total earnings yeah. so it says it's eight percent of your income tax in baden-württemberg and bavaria and nine percent in the rest of germany which i think is kind of funny because i feel like that kind of goes against yeah it's the opposite of what they're throwing about. you a bone with but, that one they're like come down so it says for example if you made fifty thousand euros a year in berlin you would pay around 800 euros in church tax yeah which is a lot like, that's a lot of that's money. That's a ton of money. That's a good amount of money. Yeah. And so not not insubstantial. And it's weird because it's just so like if you move here as a foreigner and you you register with this process we're talking about registering your apartment. Now, of course, done on paper. 
And you tick, like, if you're a member of a church. You, you shouldn't do that unless you really want to <laughs> pay the church. But even if you say no, what they'll do is send you this weird letter often if they think you might be a member. And they'll say, like, please verify that you're not a member of the church like show or show that you've officially left. And in the U.S., like, you don't really have a form to, like, officially leave a church. And then you have to, like, prove a negative, basically. Like, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm fortunate that I'm a, a, a through and through atheist that has, like, probably entered a church, like, less than five times in my life. So I didn't have this issue. But I know some people get, like... <laughs> Some people get uh, Michelle can maybe explain her situation is slightly different, and so so they'll like track you down though and say like say you're a, a member of you know we're raised Catholic in the U.S. or whatever but like aren't aren't that Catholic they they'll try to track you down and you have to prove that you left but there's not a documentation to officially leave a church in America as far as I'm concerned because it's not a part of the the government bureaucracy whether you are a member or not so people get stuck in this weird like bureaucratic hell yeah trying you might, to prove a negative you might be a member of a certain like parish yeah so that you go to church in a certain town certain parishes will have like different requirements for saying you can be a member you know or so that you can send your kids to church school programming yeah. and stuff like that but um no ted's right there's not like an official well i was researching this out of sheer curiosity um <laughs> whether the catholic diocese if they find have my name taxes, the and um, they don't they don't have my name well but so what what why would some bureaucrat or whatever and some arms like think you might be a member of a church like what reason would well they so so what they'll do so the the yeah, it's that it's quite like complex. Good, There's yeah, a whole incentive structure here that's like very complicated. Like the should mind it. Like what? So what they do? They'll send. This is I'll quote from this piece where this is one person's experience where they try to track them down. Let's quote. They were sent a questionnaire, and so the questionnaire, which included my tax number and was posted from the same address as my district tax offices, asked for intrusive details about my life. Was I ever baptized or christened? If so, where and when? Had I ever been married in the church? If so, where and when? Was I a member of any church? Oh, that, that I was be... taken aback by the idea of having to share such personal information. And this is after already having registered and saying, no, I'm not a member of a church. So this is something they would have like your marriage certificate often, yeah. right? So if you're registering at an address and or you're like moving together with a spouse or you're registering your kid for school, like they have your marriage certificate. And if you're married, in the church ding 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 ding, ding. like yeah. that yeah so yeah well, continuing point here though we're saying i'm taken aback by the idea of having to share such personal information is like totally like exactly what we were saying before about this whole like um privacy thing like they seem to not have any issue with like violating people's well again this is like a semi-private thing yeah so continuing the article after digging online I discovered that this church tax office is not an actual government agency. The letter is a deceptive initiative to snare potential church taxpayers. Any person who acknowledges they were baptized or otherwise involved in a church who cannot show paperwork proving they officially left the church is considered to still be a member in Germany and therefore liable for taxes and even back taxes. So they advise, this is a Handelsblatt piece we can link to. 
Um, they advise just throwing that letter in the garbage if you get it. But yeah, pretty um, pretty wild system. They basically try to ensnare you to declaring you're in the church, and then once you're there, you have to officially formally leave, and you have to then, of course, go in person to uh, administrative office and pay a fee to then leave the church, even if you like never consciously were a member, you just like got baptized when you were a little kid or something. Yeah. And so the reason this happens is because the government is actually incentivized to do this because they get 3% of the fee that they collect, the rest, the church gets the rest. So of that, you know, 800 that the 50,000 earner in Berlin would get, the state gets 3% of that in administrative costs. So they get to keep some of it. So it's like in everybody's interest to try to track down people and like kind of artificially say that they're in a church when they're not. So um, yeah, very weird system. Uh, not not a fan. It's and 24 euros. I thought it was 30. 3% of 800? Oh, oh, the thir- it's 30 to do the administrative fee. But yeah, 24 mm. the government gets. Yeah. So nice job. I used a calculator. Oh, I thought you just did that. <laughs> no. It's like midnight. It's so. l- yeah, it's almost 1230. <laughs> so I was, was going to be impressed that you're doing mental math at midnight. Not so, I. Um, <laughs> but in the spirit of equality, uh, obviously we want to spread this great practice far and wide. So they're thinking about including this practice for mosques now in Germany, which I, I guess makes sense, but they they always paint it as... Um, as this way to like avoid foreign influence. And that ties in this whole other massive topic that we won't even really scratch, but it's a lot of the mosques here are funded via the Turkish government. Um, it's called uh, DTIB in Germany, like DNet uh, worldwide. And they pour like billions into funding like Turkish led mosques throughout the world where they have a kind of like a centralized, uh, like this, this like the content is like is like centralized and sort of like people worry about sort of like Turkish control of this and so it's like turns into a bit of a scare thing that some of these huge mosques I think there's like the biggest one is in Cologne I think mm. um, huge like impressive building but they're funded through the Turkish government and then that scares up the sort of fear that there's like the sort of you know kind of conservative version of Islam being taught through this so then they say oh no we want to self-fund it locally so they're independent not dependent on these like foreign government donations and so there's a whole political mess there to like ask whether the, mo- the mosque could be a part of it um but yeah um, lots of people are leaving the church 441,000 christians left germany in 2020 uh 222,000 of them were catholic so yeah they're they're plummeting um but actually they've increase their revenues in a lot of ways it, it declined a lot during COVID, but they've uh they've clawed it back so it's a weird system it's i've i yeah i don't like it at all there's also other state support for churches like they literally give taxpayer money to the churches for some cultural reason or like it, it, yeah i was looking this up it dates back to 1803 where the princes had to give up some of their land and there was some deal between the church and the princes. And so the princes agreed to like pay a bit. Sorry, it was the other way around. So the princes agreed to pay money to the church. And so now the like states that then became like the little like the kingdoms that then became are now like federal states. Oh, yeah. Have this like continued thing where they pay like several hundred million in total like to the church every year. So they're thinking about ending that, but still a thing. 
Um, and that's different than like the actual member fees. Like the government just literally gives money to the church, which again, I'm not that in favor of. <laughs> uh, in in Iceland, they have a similar uh, like church tax thing. But a few years ago, or like maybe ten years ago now, um, this group of people started what they called like a new religion called Zooism, which they said was like this pagan religion based on the, like, like spaghetti colander on the head one. No, I think that's like some American thing. That's like that's like the, the pasta No, but the Zooism thing is kind of clever. So like they they like have registered as an official religion and are getting people to like join their like quote unquote church or whatever. And so then they are eligible to collect this church tax, um, which then they use to fund other kind of like community initiatives or whatever. So basically it's like a way to... To funnel that. Like, yeah, funnel the church tax thing into some ostensibly more noble ends. I don't know, but... Last question? Yeah, let's uh, let's close it off. Oh shoot, I didn't even we didn't even all right, we'll go think first. about something. Okay. Um no, you, I feel like you had some ideas. Um okay, this this last question is one that we've we've gotten from a few people over the the course of the podcast. Uh which is, you know, you you moan and groan about Germany so much, but what do you actually like about it? <laughs> Sound more Canadian. <laughs> <laughs> Moaning and groaning, that's what we're best at. It's so, so true. We debated answering this or not because we're like, well, we don't want to like destroy our brand. But then we're like, well, no, it's a fair point because we all do like, we did move here. So we did, yeah, we did do point. that. It's a fair point. Who wants to go first? Isaac, what do you like about Deutschland? Uh, um,. <laughs> I mean, I think I have a little bit more of like. You guys just uh, look so cute on the couch. <laughs> I have a little bit more of like a like a like a like a separate reason for being here, perhaps. Like, I mean, my like this guy, this lucky guy has a passport. Yeah, I'm like my family's from here. Like, I, I, mean, I technically have like German. Like, so I can you know I can say that like oh I don't I don't I don't care. I'm just like this thing that I have. That's like, called a passport. <laughs> and it's German. Yeah, <laughs> so I think you know get off with saying like ugh like you know. But no, I mean, I also did choose to move specifically. <laughs> uh, I guess I could have moved up anywhere in the EU if I wanted to. But um, uh, not to let What us... do you Sorry. like about <laughs> it here? <laughs> I think especially being from like mid-sized Canadian city, like I don't have a driver's license. So like Berlin especially, like I don't think it's about moving to Germany for me. I think it's about moving to Berlin and being like in a city where I could live without needing a car. Like, I do actually really love the U-Bahn. Like, I'm, like, yeah. quite a fan. Uh, that's something I really like about Berlin. Yeah, that's good. That's similar <laughs> to me. I mean, my, my, like, canned answer when people ask why I moved to Europe, I usually just say trains and healthcare. And I think, like, I, like, do mean that, though. And, like, and, like to sort of generalize that more, I think why Germany is nice is... In a lot of ways, it's not about, like, the actual things that are here or, like, discrete, like, benefits. Like, the weather's trash. Like we said, you know, the food is here and there. Like, you know, there's some interesting cities. It's, like, like it's not, like, that spectacular. <laughs> it's so funny how none of us could, no, like, no, no, really... No, no, no. I do, I do. Sorry, no, sorry, I mean this, I mean this genuinely. Yeah, and I think... So, like, the, the benefit of Germany, I think, lies in, like, what you don't have to think about mm. relative to living in the U.S. or 
other countries as well. Like, there's just a bunch of stresses that you don't have here because of how the system works. And even though there's so many holes in the social system, so many inequalities, so many things that we talk about on this podcast, but at the same time, like, you know, about this time last year, like, uh, my appendix was all inflamed and I just like went to the hospital. I was there, stayed three nights in the hospital and I never stressed like, oh, how am I going to pay for this? How am I, like the bill at the end of it was $40. It was just the 10 bucks, sorry, 40 euros, 10 bucks a day for food. Like that's it. Like everything else was taken care of. Like I never spent a single second stressing about the money, which like, I guess sounds trivial, but like if you worry about that stuff and have in the US, like it's super, super powerful experience to it's not It's existential, to it's the yeah, opposite it's of very, trivial, very yeah. And it ties into Isaac's point too of like, not needing a car and like not worrying about that at all. And just knowing you can get where you want to go, even if it's like a small village in like a lake in Brandenburg to like go on a hike or go on a swim, like in the summer, you can get out there with like a train and your bike, like you can just, you can get where you want to go. And again, it's just like this, like not thinking or like, never having that like anxiety of like taking your car to get it repaired and it comes back that You're it needs $2,300 worth of something you've never heard of. Like, it's just like, nope, it's 290 or whatever, where, you know, you get a monthly pass like for the, for the Uban and like that kind of stuff where it's just like, you feel like your mind can be like a bit freer to think about the things you want to think about and do the things you want to do because you're not spending time like fussing with car repairs and health insurance reimbursements and like just like these like nightmare barriers that you face in the US. Well, like in, in, in a similar vein, like um, like it's really nice to like I'm doing a master's here and like not like I pay like 280 euros a semester or whatever for like a semester yeah. fee like that's yeah. pretty sweet. Like because you know coming from Canada like yeah we have we have um, public health care and like so I'm, I'm used to that but I mean in Canada like universities are still super fucking expensive and so yeah yeah that's been great and then like uh, on, on the car thing like just an I guess sort of like an anecdote like when I moved here from Canada everyone or when I tell people I'm from Canada people here often are like oh like I mean that must be so great like you must like get out to the nature all the time like going hiking like lakes mountains whatever and it's like yeah there's like so much beauty in Canada like it's, I never see it because I don't have a car. So I like have to ask a friend to like, we're gonna drive somewhere and like you can't get to it unless you have a car. And like the like bus system, like intercity bus system in Canada has been like totally just like obliterated. And whereas in Berlin, like even though sure, like there's not as much like stunning, like natural beauty around, like you can still, like there's a lot of natural beauty and you can yeah take you can train. actually you can, get, you can, there. You can get there door, you can exactly. door to door to like a ski slope in bavaria in like six hours like leave your house taking only trains and like be at the foot of a ski slope in like six six and a half hours yeah taking only trains which is like berlin is about as far from mountains as you can get in germany like like proper mountains and like that's an insane thing to me because like People will talk, yeah, like on the West Coast of like the US or Canada, like, oh, you're so close to this. Then it's like, people still drive forever to get like anywhere, yeah. you know? And so it's like, even though you're like far away here, you can still just like get there and like you have, you know, it's it's a vision of like freedom and autonomy that like I think is probably alien to, to like a more like North American crowd where like freedom exists like in your ability 
to drive and like your ability to like get your own place driving a car but it is also like a different idea of freedom to like get where you need without that right and like there's there is a way so that someone else will take you there you don't need to spend the money and like have a car and do all that like you you can you can get where you need to be and then you can read a book while you're there and like I think it's very, you know, you can just as easily argue that that is like a real sense of freedom, not having to sit in traffic all the time. I like Germany because it all has to do with the quality of life things that Ted and Isaac are discussing. Um, I think specifically something I really enjoy is the strict, at least in my field (laughs) of work is the strict um divide between work life and free time Mm. and i think although it it very much applies to my job and for some jobs the same can't be said there is just this concept of like freizeit free time like being for you like Feierabend, like, yeah. I love when you like walk into a store and they're like, ah, Feierabend, like celebration. Yeah, it means like I'm done working. Like, like they're not, yeah. they're not gonna make that final sale. They'd it doesn't, rather, it doesn't matter. Yeah, and just say I'm done, I'm going home. Yeah. And I, and I think that you see, kind of like mirrors of that like everywhere, and that that I really appreciate that. I like things not really being open on Sunday. I like the pace of life here a bit better. It's definitely slower. It's definitely yeah. slower, and I think that's also a Berlin thing. Maybe you know, if you were uh, <laughs> in Munich, it might not be the same. Yeah, uh, but don't move to Munich or Frankfurt if you move here. Yeah, and then you know, since none of you said it, I do have to say that the the vacation, the paid oh, yeah. time off paid is six weeks, baby. That's, that's like. You literally can't. There's nothing. It's very nice. Yeah. 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 A lot to be said for paid time off. So there, we were nice. (laughs) Oh, and I also like. I don't like being (laughs) earnest, but we need to do it right now. You get what you asked for, (laughs) listeners. That is actually the most common reaction that I uh, get from everyone. I'm just like, oh, what do you think about the podcast? Well. But negative anything you <laughs> can you be both sides <laughs> um the other th- the, isaac's right i did have my my initial gut reaction to this question maybe because i was just in the u.s and like missing food here was that i uh i like the german bread and i think their brotkultur is important and beautiful Immortalized on a postage thing, actually. <laughs> Deutsche Brotkultur, and it has like five different colors of bread on it. Very cute. It's pretty good bread. The like the like German bread guild. I think we had this on Twitter with like uh, Nick and Rob, the German bread guild of their their bakers sniffing the bread in this like very elaborate oh, photo yeah. shoot. <laughs> like it's super super strict. We talk about back to the back to the bureaucracy. You need to pass like an insane battery of exams and like do. Like, like you can't. Oh, you, you can't, can't buy, work in a bakery you can't even buy without bread from a place that doesn't have like a like a Meister certificate. Yeah. The hyper bureaucratized, of course, but hey, it's pretty good. Don't get any rogue bakers out there because they gotta go through the system. Yeah. Well, it's actually there's like a um, case in Nikon recently where they tried to shut down this one. Yeah. 
uh, sorry to no, no, <laughs> be, no. be back to the. I can't can't let it go. Can't end it on a positive note. Like it like hurt me (laughs) when you're gonna end the recording. But this um, like baklava bakery and and other various like treats, they tried to shut them down because the baker didn't have the exact German certificate. And it's like, well, he's not making German bread. He's like making another thing. (laughs) Like the, the like the like. Baker school doesn't teach that. She's like, yeah. why am I making that? Why do I need to know how to make rye bread to make baklava? And but but having crazy. registered yeah. as a bakery, right? Yeah. Because that is like what your business is. So, so. the dark side of World War Two. There you go. <laughs> Should we leave it there? Come to our live show. Oh yeah, announcement. We already, we already said this, but, but we're gonna say yeah. it again. Live show. It was two hours ago. So. Twenty. Yeah, <laughs> made it this far. You deserve a reminder. 23rd Sunday evening Donau 115 link to the Facebook event in the description I don't remember the time offhand but 7 maybe 6 or 7 six, yeah. 7 yeah we'll link to it come hang out juice alright <laughs> see you next time juice Hey, it's producer Isaac here. That was your semi-weekly episode of Spaß Bremse. Thank you so much for listening. And just a reminder to please, if you haven't already, subscribe to our podcast wherever you are listening and give us a review or share with your friends too, if you feel like it. You can also follow us on Twitter at Spaßbremse underscore pod, where you can tweet us all your comments and complaints. That's at S-P-A-S-S-B-R-E-M-S-E underscore P-O-D. And we're also now on Patreon. So if you are able, your support over there would be greatly appreciated too. You can find us there at www.patreon.com slash If you weren't paying attention, that's totally okay. All this info is also in the show notes. Thanks again for listening and talk to you next time. Tschüss.